Hey, a hundred years from now, no one's going to remember our name, but everybody will still be talking about the name of Jesus. Can we give Jesus some praise in this place? Come on. He's the one worthy of praise. Come on. He's the one that's worthy of all the praise. Our names die. Our names keep going on. His name has no end. His name lasts forever. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the maker of heaven and earth, and he is worthy of praise. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to be good tonight. Y'all can have a seat. It is good to be back at Lake Geneva. As Pastor Mark said, I want to start with honor to the great leadership here in Minnesota. Mark Larum, thank you for your perseverance. Thank you for your endurance. Thank you for your vision and your passion. And thank you for once again taking the charge of leading Minnesota men into places and spaces where God can show up and get the ultimate glory. Mark, I love you and I honor you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey. So I, I get the privilege and honor to literally travel across America and the world getting to share the greatest message ever, this message called the gospel. I was just in Colorado last weekend. I was in Alabama the weekend before that. Uh, take off to Florida coming up soon. And I just want to say whoever says following Jesus is boring probably isn't following Jesus. And, and following Jesus sometimes doesn't always make sense. But when you willingly lay down your life to his voice, it will always be way beyond you and impact the most for his glory and his kingdom. It's powerful and it's beautiful. Uh, one of the things I love to do when I preach is I love to kind of make sure we're warmed up and ready to go. And I know we are because of worship. But I just need to make sure we're all unified. I need to make sure we're all on the same page and that the blood's flowing. So here's what I need you to do. Please, please do not punch your neighbor, even if you're holding a grudge against a dude or you brought your son. This is not a chance to punch him across the face, okay? But I need every man in the place. Just do this with me. You'll see how amazing this this really is, all right? Everyone loves it. I need everyone, just put your hands out to the side like this. Just put them out. Everybody, all your hands out to the side. On the count of three, clap above your head. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. All right, just making sure y'all are still Minnesota Vikings fans. Just making sure. Just making sure. Just making sure. Because, because here's the deal. In scripture, God says he commands blessing when we are unified. Y'all, we just did the same thing together, y'all. I had to make sure we were unified. And I know there's some disgruntled Packer fan who's been a Packer fan your whole life, and you just did the skull clap. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're in our state, baby. You're in our state. You go to Lambo, you can do your thing to me, okay? But you're here. You're in Minnesota. True story, though, for real. I was asked to preach at a church in Lambeau, Green Bay, Wisconsin, right outside the field. And I literally had the entire church in all three services do the skull clap. I have never seen grown men with beards look like they were going to go to their trucks and get shotguns and execute me before I could even get to the message. Like... You guys, if you want to die early, just get Packer fans right next to the stadium to do the skull clap. It's bizarre. <laughs> oh, it's so fun. You know what I love about doing the skull clap in Minnesota is I know I don't lose credibility with my audience. But in other states, they stop listening after that. They're like, I don't want none of this guy. Hey, here's a picture of my family, a picture of my wife, Steph, and my two kids, Everly and Malachi. I met my wife at North Central University in downtown Minneapolis, and I thank God for the leadership of North Central. I thank God for the school who helped invest it into me, President Hagen and his leadership, and uh, I found a treasure, y'all, when I went there, and that's my wife, Steph. And uh, we celebrate, this is, yeah, we celebrate nine years of marriage this Tuesday, and uh, yeah, so incredible. I love every minute of it. 
And, uh, and so that's them. We typically travel together as a family on the road and possibly looking at getting an RV uh, to borrow for the summer as we're touring, touring across America in the southern half of the states there. But um, I did bring a resource with me, and I do this unashamedly not to promote myself, but to promote uh, what God's put in me to be able to help you. I wrote a book, the first book called Death to Life. And the reason why I wrote this book was not so I could make my name great or whatever. I said, God, I'll do this, but if the only people that ever read this book are my children and my grandchildren, it's worth it. This is a story that's been written from a place of once experiencing death, physical death, cancer in a home, divorce in a home, uh, you name it, I've walked through it, I've been through it. And uh, I wrote this book to let men and let people know that death is never the final word over our life. But when Jesus comes, he takes us from death to life. And the second part of this book is once the grave clothes come off of your life, how in the world do you walk in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you? I have this in the back, and I'm going to give it away to someone who has a birthday today. Dave Gohl, are you in the room? Do you got a birthday too? Is Dave Gohl in the room? Where's Dave Gull? Hold on, Dave. We got two guys with the birthday. Hold on. We're going to do a wrestling match right here between the two of you because this is the ultimate men's ministry event. I say we do it till we see blood or submission. One of the two, okay? Now, here's the deal. Dave, what's your name, bro, in the back? What's your name? Fred. Hey, on the count of three, we're going to say happy birthday to Dave and Fred. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Dave and Fred. Hey, Fred and Dave, stop by my table. We'll get those for you guys. Uh, anybody in the room, uh, you might be 80 years old in the room, or you might be 18 in the room, but is there any men in here that would be honest tonight and say that you still got some fears in your life, things you're afraid of? Maybe, maybe may, yeah, you do. My homeboy's up there. Yeah, you feel me. You know what I'm talking about. You got some fears. You know what I'm saying? Uh, maybe some of you in the room are afraid of exactly what I'm doing. Like, if some dude were to look at you and say, you get the microphone, you go up and speak, you'd be like, no, thank you. I'm a terrified of, of public. Maybe it's heights. Maybe it's spiders. I don't know, but we can live with these fears. And for me, growing up, one of the biggest fears in my life was some dude breaking into my house. And the reason why I was scared of some dude breaking into my house is because across the street, there were dudes that would climb up trees, and all I would see are their legs dangling, okay, at night. And they would be staring at my house late at night. I'd go in my dad's bedroom as a young man and say, Dad, the dudes are outside again staring at our house. My dad would call the popo, that's short for police. He called the police. They'd shine their giant bright lights in the trees. True story. And I would see men jump out of the trees and stay, start taking off running from the police. Okay? So the reason why I slept with golf clubs in my bedroom was not because I love golf. But if some dude's going to walk into my house, he's going to get a putter to the head. Okay? It just is. Like, I'm defending myself. And so I'm the oldest in my family. I got three younger sisters. Are there any dudes in the house? You have all sisters, no brothers. You have all sisters. Keep your hands up, y'all. Be proud of this moment. You want to know why? Because you've been surrounded by estrogen your entire life. God bless you, okay? For real. The men with their hands raised either have anger issues or they're really patient. One of the two, okay? Because they've been around females their whole life going insane. Still dealing with it. I have three younger sisters, okay? I could never play Lion King and wrestle with them. I could never. I, like, they dressed me up in girls' clothes, put makeup on me, and made me take pictures. Why? Because if I punched them, I'd get in trouble by dad, right? You know? So girls ruled the house. Girls got to do what they want. So my dad one night, I'm about 20 years old, my dad one night says, son, I'm going to go to the grocery store. You want to come with me and your sisters? I say, Dad, I've been surrounded by females my whole life. I'm going to stay home and relax. He goes, Son, I get it. Stay home. I'm going to take your sisters. He takes my sisters. I'm on a big leather couch watching some sports center. I got a Coke and I got a popcorn, two of my favorite combinations together. I'm watching the top 10. I feel good about my life. I can have sanity for once. I'm not surrounded by females. This is amazing. I'm starting to feel manly by the minute. But a problem happens. As I'm watching TV, there's these set of windows, and I notice some dude walk up to the windows and press his face up against the window, and he's staring at me while I'm watching TV. And I immediately walk up the stairs, kick open the door, and I was like, hello? 
Hello? I saw you. I'm 20 years old. I have a beard and I work out. If you come into my house, I will jack you up. And then I immediately shut the door with every lock imaginable. Because on the outside, I look tough, but on the inside, I was like, I'm going to die tonight. Like, I see Jesus coming now. And so I freaked out, got the doors locked. I got every light turned on in the house because when you're 20 years old and you're freaked out of your mind, you have to flip on every light in the house. You got to make sure it's illuminated. And so I'm sitting down, but now the TV's muted, but I forgot something. Back around to the left was my dad's office where he worked. And the screen door was shut so a breeze could come through, but the glass door was left open. I had forgotten to go lock the glass door. And connect it. And so I'm thinking, well, I'll just get up and go do it quick. So I get up. But before I could fully get up, all I hear is the screen door slowly begin to open up. And all I hear is. And then I heard it shut. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, stop it. Okay, I will. I hear the door shut and my face is glued to the left to see who's going to come around the corner. I hear him walking in my dad's office. I hear him going through the papers on his desk. And I'm glued to the left to see who's going to turn. And all I see, true story, is the scariest clown mask I've ever seen in my life. All I see is the guy stick his head around the corner like this. For three seconds, he stares at me like this, and then he pulls his head back around the corner like that. And when I saw that, I was like, oh! You know how you scream, but it's just air? It's like, oh! And I'm thinking to myself, why do you got to do the head thing? Like, if you're going to kill me, just do it. Like, why do you got to torture me in the process? And he comes around the corner. He's like, give me your wallet. Give me your wallet. And I'm like, all right, but it's, it's wet. Here you go. You did it to me. You can have it. And the guy takes off his mask, and it was my dad. My dad! What kind of psycho nut job? It was around Halloween time. He took my sisters to the grocery store, like he said, but on his way there, there's a Halloween store nearby. He got a grand idea. Hey, sisters, daughters, you want to see your brother get freaked out? Yeah, dad, yeah, freak him out. Yeah, dad, yeah. So my dad goes to the Halloween shop, buys the scariest mask he could find. He freaks the junk out of me. He goes, son, the look on your face, you were so terrified that as your father, I could no longer keep doing this to you. Like, gee, you're a good dad. Thank you so much. He says, son, next time someone breaks into our house like that, you get up and you defend yourself. I'm like, dad, look, man, I don't expect a random clown dude to come walking into my house and just go, Bah-uh! like, come on, dad. But can I just be really real for a second? Just how an intruder broke into my home and I thought it was secure. Just how an enemy broke into my living space. You have to understand something. Is there is an enemy that is searching for open spaces and places to come in and try to break into your life and reap destruction and heap damage and to destroy you. There's an enemy that won't take off a mask, but there's an enemy that will keep on a mask and do what he can to instill fear in men. Tonight, I want to open up tonight's message by reading you a letter from a dead man. If you're reading this letter, I'm now dead. I wanted to share with you my story in hopes that you might learn from me. You see, I've lived a full life. 
I carry with me a perspective that no one else in the world could have. The reason being is because I was the first man. I was the first man to know God. I was the first man to be in relationship with him. The intimacy I had with God was unlike anything I could put into words. The ongoing joy from just being in his presence was worth more than money could buy. The peace of mind and peace of heart was better than life itself. I can speak to these things because I've tasted perfection, but also death. My relationship with God was everything to me. God knew me, and all I wanted was to know him. Everything was perfect. Everything was pure. The relationship I had with God was incredible, and there was nothing that could get in the way. I knew what to stay away from in my life. I knew the areas that would trip me up. I clearly knew the boundaries God set up for me, not to harm me or limit me, but to protect me, just how a father would protect his kids. So I did what I could to stay away from those things. All I wanted was to please God and to obey his desires and his wants. However, everything changed when I started moving away from God's voice and entertaining the voice of Satan. His voice was tempting, convincing, alluring. It made me question what God had said. He would say things to me like, did God really say? You see, Satan was a master deceiver. He was a master at getting me to doubt everything God spoke to me. It drew me in and his voice spoke to me in a way that sounded good. It sounded as though I was missing out on something by not following God. That was when I decided to do what Satan wanted me to do. He never forced me to do anything, but he tempted me into making a personal choice of my own choosing. It all started by entertaining a conversation with Satan. Had I ran when he started to speak, things would have been different. I was the first man to ever fall immorally. I was the first man to experience shame. And I am here to tell you that sin will always take you further than you want to go. Sin unchecked will always look to separate you and your relationship with God. When I first experienced sin, all I wanted to do was die. The pain and suffering of my holy relationship with God was enough that I wanted to die. I wanted to end it. I'd never experienced separation from God. For the first time, all I wanted to do was hide from God and cover myself with my own mask, my own makings. I realized in that moment, I was living a life God never meant for me to live. I was hiding behind my own creation versus living in the creation God had made for me to enjoy. I'll end this letter right here and let Micah tell you the rest of the story and what man was really made for. It wasn't a life of hiding, but it was a life meant to be in relationship with God. Sincerely, Adam. They say wisdom isn't learning from your own mistakes. They say wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. Men, I want to remind you of what scripture says in Ephesians 6, verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Y'all, if you came in here not knowing that the devil has a strategy to take you out, these aren't my words. These are scriptures saying the devil literally has schemes for your life. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You thought your wife was between you and your wife. You thought your fight was between you and a coworker. You thought your wife was between you and the government. You thought your fight was between you and politics, when all the while, Paul's trying to say, time out. There's a real devil who has schemes, and the fight's a spiritual one. It's an unseen one. It's things that are looking to destroy and wipe out men. If I were Satan, I would go after men. If I were Satan, I would do everything to wipe men out. I would find a way to get men addicted to porn. I would find a way to keep them away from opening a Bible. I would do everything to try and get their marriages in trouble. I would try to keep them busy. 
so they didn't have time to pray or time to be with God. If I was Satan, I would get them to listen to lies and have a plan to deceive them. If I was Satan, I would get them to be absent from their children because if I could get fatherless kids, then I could get to those kids and have my way with the wounds of a fatherless child. I'd get them addicted to sports. I'd get them addicted to money, constantly watching the stock market, constantly ignoring the voice of God. I would get them to become more passionate about who is president of the United States versus who is sitting on the throne. I would get them to think that a ruler of a nation is more important than the ruler of the cosmos and heavens. If I was Satan, I would constantly be shaming them, telling them how big of a hypocrite they were. If I was Satan, I would get them to think they are righteous on their own and that they are better than other people. If I was Satan, I would get them as far away from God. I would get them hungry for more influence, power, money, and sex. I would do everything I could to get them to never hear the voice of God. I would encourage men to lie, steal, hide, and build up walls so that no one could ever see what's going on. If I were Satan, I would get men to hate the church. If I was Satan, I'd get them isolated and lonely. I would tell them to go ahead, take their own life. I would tell them how big of a screw-up they are. I would get their own friendships and relationships to reinforce the lie in their life. If I was Satan, I'd get them to choose the worst friends. If I was Satan, I'd get them to listen to garbage. I'd try and fill their minds with garbage. I'd get them filled with pointless agendas and endeavors. Satan has a scheme for your life. And so often we quickly buy into the scheme because we have forgotten that we were made with a distinct purpose. And when you know your why and your purpose, you can wake up every day overcoming through what Jesus did and living the God-mandated purpose on your life. Well, what's my purpose? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm gonna remind you on why God even created you in the first place and what he had in mind with you. In Genesis chapter 2, you see the creation of man. You see God's desire to make man. Do you understand? God didn't need to make you. He didn't need to make me. But when you look at how God formed man, right away you see one of the first mandates, one of the first intentions that God had for man. Genesis 2 verse 7 says it right there. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. Right there, number one. Man was made from dust to dust. The purposes of man was made from dust to dust. And you must be thinking, yo, this is crazy. You're saying all I am is some dust and some dirt? Well, according to God, yes. I asked every man in the room to get a bag of dirt. If you have that bag of dirt on you, would you open it without talking to your neighbor real quickly? Just quietly, just grab your bag. If you don't have one, that's okay. Over the next 60 seconds, as I speak, I want you to look at this dirt. Another word for dust in the Hebrew is soil, dirt, clay, mud. And what God decided was not to take something extravagant like gold or silver or money and use that to turn man. But God had a message for man right away. And it's this. That you and I aren't as special as what we make ourselves to be in our own minds. My pastor loved to say it like this. I am a legend in my own mind. The enemy loves to puff up men. The enemy loves to encourage men in the ego. That pride, one of the reasons Satan fell would be the same reason that men would be puffed up and filled up with pride. If you want to remember what life is all about, just look at the dirt in your hand. Maybe even smell it. Why? Because when sin entered the world, Genesis 3, 19 said what the result was going to be. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Psalm says it this way, that our lives are fleeting, that our days are short, that we are to number them, that we are dust and we will go straight back to dust. In other words... 
the only thing that's great in this whole equation isn't us, but it's him. That it's not us, that it's him. But we can spend a majority of our life believing the lie that it's all about our empire, our building, our doing, our ways, the way we want it. And if God could remind us, he'd look at us and say, hey, time out. The whole empire you're choosing to build on your own? Go listen to the Johnny Cash song called Hurt, written by Nine Inch Nails, and listen to the wisdom he has to tell you. Johnny Cash begins to say, what is this whole life, this empire of dirt? Even the wealthy in the world know the emptiness of fame. Even the elite in the world know the emptiness and how shallow it is to be their own God in their own minds. The quicker we understand that this life is not about us, but that we are merely dust, and to dust we will return, then, maybe then, we might catch God's purpose, that it would never be about our name, but it would always be about the name of Jesus. Be all about him. It'd be for his glory. And I brought a bag of dirt for every man to put in their work truck. For every man to put in the room, for every man to put in a wallet as a reminder that the minute pride tries to sneak into your life, that you would recognize that this life is about to end. And the moment you were born, you began the process of dying. And to dirt, our empires will become. And to dirt, our bodies will become dirt. God made man from dust to dust. In that same verse, he gives us our second clue. God made man to carry the presence of God. He formed man, a man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living being. The whole reason why the man had life wasn't because of him. The whole reason why man had life was because of a great God who... Breathed into him. God was trying to send a message that day that you and I would be dirt, dust, but in the meantime of our dust here on earth, that God would fill it as a container where his presence would reside, where his presence would dwell, that God wasn't going to be a God who's far off and look to abuse you and hurt you and smite you, but God's plan from the beginning of time was to be in perfect union with man, to be in perfect relationship with man. And Jesus took it a step further when he said, wait, because I'm going to give you a comforter. I'm going to give you a guide. I'm going to give you someone who will convict you, who will lead you in to all truth. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's not a it. He's a person. He's going to take up residence in your life. He's going to be a voice that leads you into all truth. Why? Because man was created to carry the presence of God. The breath of God. Man was created for that. And I love how Paul illustrates it maybe better than anywhere else in Scripture. But what does Paul like to say when he's describing to the church of Corinth on what it means to be humanity and what it means to be man? Listen not to my words, but what Paul says in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 4, verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Don't miss this, verse seven. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You wanna know what you look like? You wanna know how God sees you? He formed you in the dust of the ground. And just like a potter would take soft clay and begin to mold, he molded each man in the room to play a part in his kingdom. That men would take their rightful place, not as victims, not as labels say, but men would take their rightful place in the hands of Jesus who would be shaped and formed for such a time as this in his kingdom. And oftentimes I think our lives look a lot like this clay pot. Go ahead and hit the lights.
I want you to see what this looks like. This clay pot by itself, it's beautiful, it's shaped, it's molded. God has a plan for it. But a man who's not connected to Jesus, his days waste away like this pot. But yet man comes fully alive when he decides to lay down his life and not make it about his will and his empire, but recognizing that the jar of clay that he really is is actually meant to illuminate the light of Jesus everywhere he goes. Listen to me, men. America and Western society portrays men to be brutes, strong, bronze, to be muscular, all these things that portray men. You want to know what I think God saw when he made men? He didn't see what society portrays. He sees men with fractures and clay pots. Jars of clay, another word for it is earthen vessels. Vessels from the ground. Why would God give us a picture of fractures in a clay pot? Why would God show us a picture of cracks and crevices? The reason why is because Christ wanted to make it known that you are a jar of clay. Your life will one day end and pass away. But you were meant to carry the presence of God and through the crevices and through the cracks, people wouldn't see a man who made it about himself and full of pride and looking strong, but people would see a man where in his weakness, they see the grace and power of Jesus come through. That in his crevices, in his weaknesses, they would see a light illuminating from his life to impact the world to see Jesus. I never want you to forget this image. You're not too far gone from the light of Jesus shining in your life. You see, God made man from dust to dust. God made man to carry his presence. And number three, God made man to never be alone. And all the men in the room said, amen. Come on, y'all, because that meant females. woo Yeah! Yeah, yeah, yeah! Females! Woohoo! Estrogen! Yeah! Dude, I don't know about you, but I thank God for my wife. I'm excited. You can turn on the lights, y'all. I love what scripture says. The Lord God said, It ain't good for man to be alone. If God saw it wasn't good for man to be alone, If God saw all along that for man to be isolated and by himself, if that wasn't a good thing, and he had a plan to fix that and to bring a solution, and I know what some men in the room are thinking. Well, dude, I'm still waiting for that wife. Or I'm single. I think when God said he meant man for never be alone, it didn't just mean marriage. It meant being in community with other men. Mean being connected to the body of Christ. That God saw man and that if he was alone, that man could potentially be in trouble. I want to show you a picture of what it might look like to not go alone, but to be carried with another individual. Put up this picture. That picture right there is me running the Twin Cities Marathon. The dude on the right, no clue who he is. A random stranger who saw me literally wincing in pain, mile 22, my knee blew out, my ankle was done for, I could not put any weight on myself. I was running with the guy on the right, his name's Brent Silkey. He's been a friend in my life for a long time. And I've watched how God said it's not good for man to be alone. And sometimes as men, we don't want to be seen as the guy in the middle. But all too often, aren't you remembered? That it's not about how strong you are, but in the cracked and weakened vessels that you would not be alone, but you would have other men to put your arms around and do life together. Because there is strength and power in numbers. There's strength and power in community. The lies of the devil can't be so easy when you got a brother looking in your life saying, yo, that's jacked up. There's people in your life who will tell you the truth. Yo, that's a lie from the devil. You got to stop believing that. If I didn't have community in my life, if I was somehow alone, I wouldn't make it today. 
Yet you want to know what most young men are saying about their life? I believe it's Josiah Keneally, if you're in the room. Are you in the room, Josiah? How many people feel lonely? What was the survey of young adults? Remember the percentage? 75% of young men feel lonely. Hello. It's not good for man to be alone. And for some of you this last year, that was accentuated. And the sin in your life grew bigger. And the strongholds grew even more. You see, God made man to never be alone. He made man from dust to dust. He made man to carry his presence. And number four, he made man to steward and speak. It says, verse 15 of Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In other words, he put man over the things that he made. Y'all, when we read this from our Western perspective, we miss what's going on in near ancient East culture. Back then in the near ancient East culture, this would be foreign for a God to put man who he created to oversee all the things that he created. Why? Because humanity or men, if they viewed them back then, would be the lowest on the totem pole. They would be like slaves. They would be servants. God flips the script and the narrative of scripture is trying to make a point that God chooses man to say, you're going to rule over it. This is mind-blowing for the readers back then. God chooses man to steward and then to speak. But it says... In scripture, it says that God brought forth the animals, all the ground of the animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. Y'all, can you imagine being the first man to ever live and have to deal with the task of naming animals? Imagine it, bro. You're there. There's a big, giant trunk slapping you in the face. You're an elephant. There's a spotted looking cat running 60 miles an hour. You're a cheetah. Can you imagine that? He gave man the ability to speak things into life. And a lot of us miss this. Don't you know it? He also tasked man. And man was the one who said, this is woman. Listen to me, men. The words that come out of our mouth carry weight. The words we speak carry one of two things, life. Because you're a carrier of the presence of God. What comes out of your mouth is life. Or the other option is death and decay. I have a young adult man who's isolated by himself. I can show you the communication thread I have on him between him and my phone. You want to know what he's sending me? Micah, I'm depressed. Micah, I'm alone. Micah, I'll never find a wife. You want to know what he's doing? He's using the words that God gave him, the ability to speak, and he's agreeing with the liar's voice. And he's giving access for room for the enemy to come in. Why? Because he's speaking death over himself. God put the spirit of God in you to be a man to speak life Everywhere he goes. To be a man who will step in and prophesy over his family. Will prophesy over his marriage. Will prophesy over his kids. Will be a man who speaks life over the workplace. Who speaks life over his boss. The words we speak carry weight. Why? Because God created man to steward and to speak. And some of us have got to stop speaking death and start speaking full of the Spirit and speaking life. God made man for these purposes. Well, let me tell you, and we're about to close, let me tell you what God did not make man for. You see in the creation account in Genesis 3, the devil tempts him. He gets them to question. He entertains a conversation with Satan. Satan. 
And then in verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, isn't it interesting that sin is always enticing? It's always beautiful. Sin always looks good. Sin looks promising, but there's a bite to it. And it says, also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves in this moment. They realized in that moment, for the first time ever, that they were not created for sin. Because in that moment, they finally realized their own wickedness. They realized how undone they were. They realized an immediate separation. And men, you and I aren't stupid, but how many times when we sin, we immediately know in our heart, no! No! Not again! Why do I do the very things I don't want to do? Why can I break free? No! Sin looks to do exactly what it intended to do, to put a wedge between you and God. Because of that moment, we have people dying of cancer every day. Because of that moment, we have a sex trafficking industry that's growing by the minute. Because of that moment, we have racial injustices in our society and world, systems that are oppressing people. Because of that sin in that world, we have man who hates men. Because of that sin in that moment, we now have men who take their bare hands and begin to kill, begin to punch, begin to abuse, begin to domestically assault someone. Because of that sin, we have men who are bowing down to the things of this world who are getting caught up in ways and can't seem to break free because of that moment in the world we got people who are overcome and are looking for a way out you want to know what sin does it does the exact opposite of what God made man for rather than you being reminded that this life is short and you'll Return to dirt, the enemy uses sin to say, oh, I'm going to live forever. Oh, I'm going to make it about myself. I'm going to see how much more I can get. Sin does the exact opposite of allowing you to carry God's presence. You all of a sudden feel weak. You all of a sudden feel powerless. You feel like authority is being stripped away from you. You begin to live in the strongholds of sin and come against this very thought of where Jesus came to fill your life and bring light through it all. Sin does the exact opposite. It doesn't put you in community, but it does a really good job of isolating you. It does a really good job of excommunicating you. And sin does a really good job. And rather than speaking life like he made you to speak, you begin to speak what the heart is full of because what the heart is full of, the mouth will speak it. Language begins to come out. Dirty jokes begin to come out. All the things of what sin is doing inside of your heart. Stewarding, I don't care about my life. I don't care if I hurt my wife. I don't care if I hurt my kids. That goes against everything that God made man for. Man was never meant for sin. I got to see what this played out and looked like in my own life. My dad, who was the clown mask guy, the guy who freaked me out. My dad, he was a youth pastor in a local church a local firefighter. He owned his own business. The youth group met in our basement. I grew up with the dad who would open up the Bible in the mornings and spend time with Jesus. And I remember I couldn't wait till I could join the youth group someday. But before I could do that, there was a slow fade that happened in my home. You see, the church stopped meeting. The church didn't meet anymore. Therefore, my dad stopped going to church. I noticed the music in our house began to change. I noticed my dad didn't make church a priority anymore. I watched as a young kid. I watched a slow fade in my dad's life. I began to find things on his computer for the first time I found porn on my dad's computer I was freaked out I didn't know what to do went to my mom mom what is this mom what is this all about 
watching a mom be devastated because of finding porn on her husband's computer. I began to see things in my dad's life that began to unfold. Now, rather than seeing my dad with his Bible open in the morning, now my dad would bring hard drugs into the house and he quit trying to cover up the drugs and say, hey son, why don't you go in the other room? Why don't you go watch the game thinking I was stupid, thinking I didn't understand what he had laid out? Hey son, why don't you go away? I watched as my dad began to get addicted to drugs and then I saw things a young man should never have to see. I saw my dad with multiple women having affairs on my mom. I saw things and heard things I never should have had to see. And I'll never forget the day when my dad sat me and my three sisters down in the living room and said after 17 years of marriage, I'm going to divorce your mom. I'm never going to step foot inside a church again. This is who I am now. Take it or leave it. And then I became the man of the house at a young age. What did I watch? I watched how sin destroyed a man. I watched how sin puffed up a man that his choices didn't hurt other people. I watched him go buy whatever he wanted to buy, to buy beautiful toys, motorcycle, cars. I saw all of it. What else did I see? Rather than watching a dad carry the presence of God and serve and love his wife, I watched all of it get ripped out. And then not to mention, my dad became very lonely. Wanted nothing to do with church. I have seen firsthand the effects of what sin can do to a man's life. And not to mention the own sin that I've chosen. The things that I've chosen to look at or live. What about cancer. A year after my dad left my family, my eight-year-old sister was diagnosed with cancer. Stage four, given a 20% chance to live. My dad just walked out of my family, and now I got an eight-year-old girl who says she's going to die. Do you realize if there wasn't sin, we wouldn't be talking about an eight-year-old girl getting cancer? It's the effects of pride. It's the effects of sin. This turmoil. This hate. This unforgiveness. It does the exact opposite of why God made man. Sin was never meant for man. And my last and final point is hiding and shame was never meant for man. But it says in verse eight that when they heard God walking, that man began to hide. You wanna know why we hide behind the mass of our own making? You wanna know why we tell people we're good and pretend to be strong? But in reality, we're a lot like a clay pot with fractures in it. You wanna know why we do that? Is because the nature of man is to conceal the nature of man is to hide and hide behind their own pride. I wonder how many men in the room know what it means to hide, know what it means to maybe hear God but not want to be fully honest. I brought some men tonight to help maybe show a picture of what it might look in the room. As the men come, I want you to notice something. I want you to see something. There is an enemy who has a scheme and his scheme is to get into men's life. The scheme is to destroy a man from the inside out. I know you can't see all of these, but I'm gonna go down the line. You see this man right here on the very end? You wanna know what his story's been all about? It's all about how he's never been able to break free from the abuse. The abuse he got when he was a kid and now the abuse he gives as a man. You want to know what it's done in his life? It's allowed a man to hide and not let God in to heal the most inner parts of his life. 
this man right here, what you don't know about him, is this man has had affairs, not just of the physical kind, but the emotional kind. Hanging out with the woman, past work hours, getting to know her story, getting to know more about her life, beginning to take a liking to her. Why? Because at home, he doesn't really have that with his own wife. But he'll never let anyone into his life and he'll always have a box in between him and God, a hiding of his own choosing. Well, what about this man who's self-righteous? He goes to church every Sunday. But really, if Jesus were to look at him, Jesus would say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because this boy is like the prodigal son's brother who's convinced that he's good enough on his own. And he doesn't need Jesus. That he does enough good things that he's all of a sudden better. And what does he do without his own realizing? He's hiding behind his own wall. Well, what about this? A man full of bitterness. A man full of unforgiveness in his heart. Unforgiveness towards his own dad. Unforgiveness towards his own mom. Unforgiveness from the boss who laid him off. Unforgiveness from wounds that have happened as a child. And what it's done is it's put up a wall. Jesus has said, son, I can't forgive your sins until you first lay down and ask for forgiveness of those who've hurt you. You see, if you hold bitterness against other men, other people, I can't forgive you when it's held up a wall. What about the man who's constantly struggling with anger, always outlashing, always bursting, never knowing how to communicate, has since put up a wall. What about the man who his whole life's purpose is money, monetary? He's serving money rather than serving God. In turn, it's put up a wall between him and God. What about a man who can't stop lying because lies self-protect? Lies cover it up just in a moment, but lies keep spewing out. It started small, now it's major. It's ended up with a big boy over his life who's putting it between him and God what about the man who can't break free from the drug addiction can't break free from the alcohol and has this addiction that's getting in the way between him and God or what about the man that can't break free from the porn can't break free from the lust being consumed day and night can't stop till you get your fix what about the walls that are between God and man what about the man who's gambling man who gets a temporary high just from putting money in a lot or sitting at a blackjack table but the very thing God's called you to steward you're throwing away money it's destroying your life it's destroying your family or what about the man who has issues with power wanting power for himself and you notice something men you notice how the wall is hiding every single man how many men in the room are living a life just like this. How many men in the room have completely forgot the voice of God? How many men in the room know what it means to hide? You see, you can hear my voice, but you can't see me. Because what walls and strongholds do is it attempts to keep you bound and forever stop the light of Jesus coming to enter into your life. Do you realize in the story in Genesis, God had every right, he had every right to immediately annihilate man. He could have destroyed him in an instant. And the promise of sin, the promise of not choosing God, God said it was going to happen, that man would surely die that the penalty of sin was death why didn't God wipe out Adam and Eve why didn't he destroy him right there because here's the very character and nature of God is that when man decides to hide God loves to find that when man thinks he's hiding you have a God who walks through a garden not looking to destroy his creation but looking to love that which is broken, looking to hold, looking to comfort, looking to heal, looking to restore. And three words say it all. God is walking through a garden that day, and he says, where are you? Where are you? 
fully knowing where man was. God always asked man question to lead him into a deeper revelation of who he was. You see, God could have killed man in an instant, but rather than that, he showed how he was abounding in love, how he was slow to anger, how he was filled with mercy, how he was drawn to the sinner. And God began to speak a prophecy that day. In Genesis 3, he said there would be one who comes and crushes the serpent's head. There would be one who comes and his sole purpose would be to destroy the works of the devil. His purpose would be to come and destroy the strongholds in a man's life God said where are you and then when man responded we hid because we were afraid and naked and then God said who told you that you were naked who told you that Jesus came to destroy every stronghold in your life. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. For a man who's dealing with power struggles, he came to rip down the stronghold of power struggles and say, who told you you were that? A man who's a gambler, he says to you, who told you you were a gambler? A man who's a pornographer, an adulterer, he looks at you and says, who told you you were a pornographer? A man addicted to drugs and alcohol, he breaks the stronghold. Jesus came to destroy the lies of the deceiver, the lies of the enemy, to destroy the man who came to make money his game. Man who has anger would be ripped away. Man who has bitterness and unforgiveness would destroy the works of the enemy. A man who has self-righteousness would be wrecked by God's holiness. That Jesus would come and take the man who's broken and lost to affairs would say, who told you that you're an adulterer? A man who struggles with abuse, who told you you are an abuser it's the power of Jesus it's the power of who he is don't you realize the symbolism of the cross Jesus decided to destroy the devil not by murdering him Jesus decided to destroy the devil not by playing his game his way but when Jesus came he was born of a virgin he was sinless his visitation on this earth was not an origination it was merely a visitation when Jesus came he didn't just speak about heaven from a dream Jesus came from heaven Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and how Jesus destroyed the devil was by letting the devil think he got the final word by putting his body on a cross but what society didn't realize and the principalities of Rome and the governing systems of the day that sin systems government all of it was being defeated on the body of Jesus on the cross and three days later was raised to life so you and I might walk in the victory that he's purchased for our life that we would be men who are carriers of God's presence yeah we might got some cracks but his presence chose to dwell in clay vessels it's the power of Jesus it's who he is You see, in my life, I've had every reason to say, forget God. My sister battled cancer for over two years. She went through all the chemotherapy and her radiation her little body could handle. She went through over 15 surgeries on her lungs. Make-A-Wish Foundation showed up, gave her a wish. Her wish was to go swim with the dolphins in Florida. Make-A-Wish Foundation shows up when they know you're probably going to die. Every child on that hospital floor died. And an evangelist came to our church one day, looked at my sister after two years of battling it and said, young girl, one day you're going to come to my church in Tennessee and you're going to give a testimony on how God's power healed you, delivered you, and set you free. I'm here to tell you, that my sister's been cancer-free now for over 15 years. And yeah, come on. It's God's power. It's who he is. He destroys the works of the devil. He destroys the effects of sin. They called her the miracle child at the hospital. And get this, every Sunday, she leads worship at the very church she was prophesied in. (laughs) 
the very house that I grew up in, the sin that destroyed my home, the, 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 the very place where my dad was arrested and brought to jail, the very house where my dad cheated on my mom, the very house where drugs were infiltrated in my house, where all these dark rooms once were. My wife and I bought that exact house four years ago. Yeah. You want to know why? Is because those rooms aren't reminders of the past destruction. Those rooms are reminders of how God loves to buy back the broken things, the dead things, pour out his spirit on it and see it come to life. Those rooms tell a story and it's God's story written through our life. And one day, my two-year-old and four-year-old kids are going to hear a story of God's faithfulness that no matter our brokenness, no matter our sin, God has a way of redeeming it and turning it into something beautiful. It's the story of Jesus. I remember preaching here at a summer camp. Mark Dean asked me to preach in the mornings. And the night speaker, he says, where's Micah at? I'm like, why are you calling me? Where's Micah? Micah, get down here. And I stood right here, right at the altar. He said, Micah, you've been preaching from a pain and not a passion. You've been preaching from fear. What this speaker didn't know was I had fears of one day marrying a woman that I might bring hurt into her life, how I saw my own mother get hurt. Fears of divorce, fears of wounds, fears of things of the past. And he said, Micah, at this altar, I want you out loud to speak every fear that's in your heart. And for the next several minutes, I was at the altar laying down every fear. My friends were holding my arms on either side. I didn't know this at the time. He took five bottles of oil, anointing oil, dumped them on my head. Five meaning the number grace. I thought it was the Holy Spirit straight up washing me until I realized it was oil, y'all. Like physical oil. It was crazy. I was like, God, this is amazing. This is awesome. You're like washing me. Oh, it's just oil. So I do this. And within one month, I proposed to my girlfriend. Marriage was never really an option until God did a healing work where the very works of the enemy that tried to destroy me, Christ said, I'm destroying those works that are trying to destroy you. I've done it for you. Tonight, I came here to call men not to fight harder, not to try more rigorously. You want to know the pathway to victory for every man? It's not how great of a fighter you are. It's the willingness of how far a man is willing to surrender. Don't you see? Christ is the victor. Don't you see? Christ is the strong one. Don't you see? Christ is the gracious one. It's when we surrender our life. It's when we are willing to surrender our pride, our ego, that we begin to see Jesus take over, begin to bring victory and healing. Tonight, I came to call men to get to an altar, to get on their knees and begin to cry out to Jesus. Begin to be desperate for I want every man to bow their head, close their eyes. A moment between you and Jesus. For some of you, this last year and a half, you've watched marriages get destroyed. You've watched words of death grow. You've watched isolation grow. You've watched habits get worse. In Revelation, when Jesus says he stands at the door and knocks, he's talking to a Christian church who've walked away, who've abandoned their first love. If you're a man in here tonight and you want to follow Jesus and surrender your life to him and you want to recommit your life, resurrender your life to him, on the count of three, I just want you to stand. There's no better place, to be honest, 
amongst a bunch of cracked jar pots. One, your moments now. Two, to resurrender, to commit to Christ. Three, just stand all across this room. I want you to move from this place of your standing to a place at this altar on the count of three. Here's the deal. Some people might need to stand to let you by. If this is one of your friends standing, I'm going to ask you to go with them. Tonight, God's going to rewrite stories. God's going to heal the broken parts. And God always responds to an honest confession. He always responds to an honest heart cry. He always, always responds to a broken and contrite heart. One, I want you to get to these altars and find a spot. You want to know what's powerful? Is you're going to be kneeling on the very boxes of strongholds as they're no longer going to grip you, but they're going to be underneath you. Two, three, I want you to get to the altar. Come find a place to get on your knees. Begin to cry out to Jesus. Begin to cry out to him. Begin to confess your heart to him. Thank you, Jesus. The first step to being rescued is being heard. You might have to find room in the back. You might not be able to make it all the way up here. But just begin to tell Jesus your need for him. This is powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He's not looking for a polished prayer. He's just looking honesty for it from his son. He's not looking for a lengthy prayer. He's looking for his son just to tell him, just to be honest. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want every man in the room to repeat after me. Every man together. Say, Jesus. Come on, I need to hear your voice. Say, Jesus. I'm lost. I'm fragile. I'm weak. God, I need you. My heart is heavy. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you wash me white as snow? Jesus, I want to be the man that you called me and made me to be. Take my old heart. Make it new again. Crush my pride. Make me soft again. Help me to follow you all the days in my life. May no weapon, no lie, prosper or form against me. I am a new man. I am a new creation. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. Satan, back off. In Jesus' name. I love you, God. Would you just give Jesus praise? Would you just worship him?